And the title of our message this morning is Discipleship 101. Discipleship 101. And the text is going to be Romans chapter 16. So we've come to the end of the book of Romans, and we want to summarize the book of Romans. And to summarize the book of Romans, you have to use the word discipleship, and you must use that word with also the word gospel. Discipleship 101 is the title of the message. And so we want that word and the word gospel tied together. Why? Because the book of Romans is all about the gospel. The very first message, the very first thematic statement in the book of Romans is about the gospel. And the last verses in the book of Romans, the verses we're going to read today, is about the gospel. And here's the deal. The gospel produces disciples. Hence the title, Discipleship 101. And let me just say that that title is the same as the class I'm going to be teaching starting next Sunday. And I'd love for you to come because gospel ministry is defined and fulfilled when disciples are made. It's not just coming to church, but it's when a disciple is made. Okay, so you can ask me, Al, what's a disciple? Here's a disciple. One who follows Jesus Christ. One who obeys Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. That's a disciple. So if, if I were to say to you, are you a disciple of Jesus? Then the answer would be yes. His teachings are what I believe in. His teachings are what I follow. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible, Romans, tells us, defines for us what a disciple is. First, in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17... You can turn there, Romans 1, 16 and 17. Here's the definition of a disciple. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here's a disciple. It is someone who lives by the righteousness of Christ. Paul begins this letter to the Romans that we've been studying for about a year by saying, here's a disciple. I trust in Christ's righteousness. His righteousness, his good deeds define my life. Jesus is the gospel. And so a disciple is one who lives by faith in Jesus Christ. Do do you live by faith in Jesus Christ? Or do you live by faith in your own righteousness? Or do you live by some other code that you've kind of dreamed up in your mind or whatever the world may teach you? A disciple of Jesus, listen carefully, is one who lives by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the first evidence of a disciple. He lives or she lives by faith in Jesus Christ. The second mark of a disciple, remember, this message is called Discipleship 101. The book of Romans is about the gospel, and the gospel makes disciples, makes followers of Christ. Now the second mark of a disciple is actually found in our text, at the end of our text. So turn to Romans chapter 16. The last verses of this book, of this letter, are going to give us what a disciple is. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Here's a disciple, you ready? Now to him who is able to strengthen you, 
according to my gospel. So Paul is saying the gospel is at the core of what this book is all about. The gospel makes disciples. The gospel makes disciples of pagans, unholy idolaters. People who have no idea who God is, aren't following God or disobeying God. The gospel, who's Jesus Christ, comes and makes converts and then makes those who believe and makes those who follow Jesus. This is what the gospel does. It turns unholy idolaters, pagan idolaters, into holy worshipers of God, followers of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel does. So we see that at the beginning of the book. I'm going to live by faith in Jesus, by his righteousness. And we see it again here in our text this morning, verses 25 to 27 at the end of the book, the last verses of this book. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. Paul spends 16 chapters revealing the mystery that was kept hidden from long ages. What was that mystery? Jesus, who was not only the Messiah of the Jews, but Jesus, who was the Savior of the world. And so it's revealed here in this gospel. So Paul goes on to say, in verse 25, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, verse 26, but has now been disclosed through the prophet's writings as and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about, here's a key word, the obedience of faith. Aha. So what's a disciple? Firstly, a disciple is someone who lives by the righteousness of Christ. So you trust Christ's righteousness, not yours. We saw that in Romans 1, 16 and 17. If you could put that up just briefly, if you wouldn't mind, so they could see it. Great. Thank you for recovering whatever happened back there. <laughs> so, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ. What's the mystery? Jesus isn't just the Messiah of the Jews, but he's the Savior of the Gentiles. What? Yes. And so, now everyone can be saved, but not through your works. Mr. Jewish man who thinks the law does it, or not through your little philosophies, Mr. Greek philosopher who thinks you know everything you don't. Both of you bow your knees to Jesus, live by faith in Jesus, that's the gospel. For in, the, for in it, the, God, the, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not my righteousness, not yours, but God's, and that's Jesus. Is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So now Paul is going to take 16 chapters to explain this gospel. You just have to go online and listen to all 49 messages that we've done in this last year, and you'll understand the gospel. Just kidding. You probably understand it already. But here's the deal. Are you a disciple? Now flip over to the end of the book, the very last verses of the book. Here we go. Here's how Paul's going to define a gospel. One who obeys God, Romans 16, 25 to 27. Right at the end there. See at the bottom? To bring about the obedience of faith. The gospel is Jesus and his righteousness. And a disciple is one who lives by that righteousness. But a disciple is also one who obeys God's word in Jesus. The obedience that God commands. Discipleship 101 is what this message is entitled. Discipleship is what Romans is all about because discipleship fulfills the ministry of the gospel. 
We're going to meet today 26 individuals by name who are disciples, who most likely, most of them are Gentiles. They were pagan Gentile idolaters, some of them very wealthy. Some of them worked in uh, Caesar's government. There's a few Jews, there's a few Hellenistic Jews, but most of them are pagan Romans who have been saved by the gospel and made disciples of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, the Greek and the Jew. The gospel is what enables us to obey the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's been preaching in 16 chapters. Now he gives us the fruit of that. He says, hey, here are some disciples, some real world disciples. We're going to briefly take a look at them. These first century disciples of Jesus Christ, made disciples by the gospel. And then at the end of this sermon, we're going to take a look at some disciples in the 21st century. We're going to take a look at some disciples made by the gospel of Jesus Christ as they join Palm Vista. That's what these bags are here for. Uh, And as we welcome them in, because the gospel continues to make disciples, Jesus is making disciples. That is our job description. As we talked about two weeks ago, our ambition is to make disciples with the gospel. May it be yours this New Year's. Thank you for being here, by the way. Thank you. And if you're a guest and you're not part of a church, I urge you to please come back. Because the best way to make a disciple is, first of all, to be a disciple. Obviously, you must be saved. But even as one who is saved by the sovereign grace of God, are you part of a church? The best way to make a disciple is to be part of a church and not just coming on a Sunday morning, but actively involved in a community group, actively involved in smaller groups, actively involved in serving. We're going to see these 26 individuals that Paul mentions. We're all doing that. This is God's plan. This is the goal of the gospel. This is the end game for preaching the gospel, making disciples. This is our end game. Now, before we look at these 26 individuals, By the way, Paul is going to mention 26 individuals. He's also going to mention two families, and he's going to mention three house churches. So before we get into all of those folks, I need to explain something to you, if we can show the map. The Apostle Paul was writing this letter from a city in modern-day Greece. If you would look on this map, see where it says Achaia, kind of in the middle, a little bit to the bottom there, and it says Corinth. Paul was seated in Corinth writing this letter to the church in Rome. See where it says Italia? See where it says Rome? So he had yet to visit that church. Paul had spent the last several years as a missionary on missionary trips, primarily in the eastern Mediterranean. This is the then known world, the civilized world. He hadn't got to the Western Med yet. He's on his way to Spain. See where it says Hispania there on the far left? But presently he's in Achaia in Corinth. And he's been as far as, see where it says Illyria? Up there in the middle up on the top. He's been as far as Illyria. But he's mostly preached the gospel in Galatia and Asia and Syria and of course in Jerusalem. So he's greeting people in a city he has yet to visit in a church he did not plant. It was planted before he was even saved. But he's greeting them by name. How does he know these people? How can he greet them by name? Here's the reason why. That church is primarily a Gentile church in Rome. 
Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles. And a lot of those people, some of those people, were saved when they were living in places like Asia, modern-day Turkey, or Achaia, modern-day Greece, or Illyria, modern-day Macedonia. And so they were saved there, but as many people do, they went to the capital city to get a job, maybe because they had to. Some of them were returning there because they had been exiled from that capital city. So he's greeting some of these people because he knows them, but a lot of them he's greeting them by reputation. He's heard that they're disciples. He's heard that they've worked for the church. He's heard that they've almost died for the sake of the gospel, and he's greeting them. And as he greets them, he puts a fire in our hearts that we would be disciples, that we would make disciples, that our ambition is if someone wrote a letter to the the church in Palm Vista, in Miami Lakes, that your name would be in this letter like these names were. And that things would be said of you that are being said of these disciples. Make that your ambition this year. Change whatever you need to change in your calendar and your priorities. Ask God to show you that this, this is the number one goal. This is what actually life is all about. Life with the Savior. You know, before we meet these disciples, I just want to bring you one sort of real-world illustration of a disciple. Remember I told you that for many of these people we're about to meet, they were Greeks, they were probably pagan idol worshipers, and the gospel Jesus comes being preached by mostly Paul and others, and they repent and believe as God enables them to, and now they become worshipers of God, unholy pagan idolaters, holy worshipers of God in Jesus Christ. Okay, Al, what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what that looks like. That looks like a guy who grew up in Brooklyn, New York, who loved to play ice hockey, maybe even made that his idol. That looks like that guy today being seated somewhere in this auditorium. I'll introduce you to him later. That is a disciple because, my friend, less than a year ago, that guy would have been playing ice hockey right now in South Florida as the goalie, the star goalie of his team. What's a disciple? One whose heart is changed by the grace of God, who lives by the righteousness of Christ, not their own, but one who then obeys God and says, I'm following you now. I'm worshiping you no longer, my little idol. Whatever whatever it might be for you, ice hockey, money, people, relationships, fill in the blank. That's a disciple. All right, let's meet some first century disciples. You ready? Verses 1 and 2. Look in your Bibles, please. And you can leave the map up there because I might be referencing that during my... uh, Rehearsal of these disciples. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria. Now, remember Paul was in Corinth. Centria, he mentions it here in verse 1, is eight miles from Corinth in modern-day Greece. So this woman, a Gentile convert, lived close to where Paul was penning this, uh, this letter. As a matter of fact, many people believe she's actually the one that brought this letter to Rome. We'll see this here in a moment. That you may welcome her, verse 2, in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need for you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Many people believe that this woman probably hosted the church in her home. She may have been wealthy and had a big home. And so they had church services there. The church was mostly in homes in the first century. And then Paul writes this letter of commendation because if she is traveling to Rome to bring this letter to the Romans with a group of people, 
then she's going to need people to house her. There's no Holiday Inns back then. There's no Hilton there. You have to find your lodging with people. So she would go to a city, and Paul would say, in that city there are believers, here's their names, and show them this letter. I commend to you, Phoebe. She's bringing something from me. Take care of her. And they did. She's a servant. She's a patron of the church. The church is meeting in her home at times. She's, she's, she's a servant of the church, are we? Well, next, let me introduce you to two other disciples. Prisca and Aquila. Look at verses 3 through 5a. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. So Prisca and Aquila are in Rome, But the reason Paul knows them so well is that they had to leave Rome as Jews when Claudius expelled all the Jews, and they had to go to Corinth. And in Corinth, on Paul's second missionary journey, Paul met them, and they became very good friends, this dynamic husband and wife team. They're probably wealthy business people. They were tent makers like Paul. And they helped preach the gospel in Corinth. And they were so effective that we read in the book of Acts that Paul then takes them across that body of water to Ephesus in Asia. And in Ephesus, they have great, great ministry amongst Gentiles. They were Jews. And now, because Claudius' edict was overturned, they've returned to Rome. That's their hometown. They probably established their business there. They're probably fairly wealthy, and their home is big enough that they can have the church meet there. Maybe 70, 80, 90 people. At most, 90. That's how most of the church met in the first century. Not only that, they risked their necks for Paul. Most likely, what Paul is referring to there is in Acts 19, we find that when Paul is ministering in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, over there where it says Asia, there was this huge riot. Well, Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila were there with him. Some historians say that they actually helped save Paul's life because the riot was because of the gospel and the main person they wanted to kill was Paul who was preaching the gospel. And the local deity wasn't very happy about that, so they wanted to kill him. And it, it, listen, these are courageous people. These are generous people. These are servants of the Lord. Paul greets the church in his home. Are we willing to risk our necks for the gospel? Are are we given to the gospel? Obviously, they're still wealthy. They're still in business. I'm not talking about being a full-time pastor. They're still in business. Big enough home in Rome that they can host a church, but they're given to the gospel. Are you? Am I? When I think of Priscilla and Aquila, I think of my friends in Cuba. We just had Manolito Fonseca here um, last Sunday. The church in Cuba primarily meets in homes. People will take their tiny home. I've seen people take a home that's the size of this platform, and I'm not kidding you. And I've seen them put all, everyone sleeps in one little room, the kitchen's in this room, and then this whole section here, they have empty so that the church can meet. That is not unusual. That is not unusual. I just think, oh Lord, Lord, I want to do that. When my day comes, when the Lord says, that's it for Alpino, And I stand before him. I want to say, Lord, the gospel was a priority. Lord, my ambition was to make disciples with the gospel. And I want to be, I I want to be spoken of as Prisca and Aquila were. They risked their necks for the gospel. Next, Epanetus. 
By the way, you can start praying for me now as I pr- try to pronounce some of these names. Epinetus. He was beloved to Paul. Do you see that? Look at verse 5b, please. Point it out on your, in your word. Point to it. Hit the guy next to you and say, hey, look, look, right here. Epinetus. You try to say that. Greek, my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So this guy Epinetus perhaps was in Ephesus, where it says Asia. And perhaps he was the very first one who was saved there. Remember, Paul ministered there. Remember, Priscilla and Aquila were there with Paul there. So maybe this guy was saved there. And then maybe he went back to Rome because Priscilla and Aquila said, hey, look, there's unemployment's kind of high in Ephesus. Come back to Rome. We'll give you a job. Or we're planning a church in Rome. Come help us. But the bottom line, he's beloved. Do you see how Paul is calling these people? They're beloved. They're not just church members. Oh, these are my parishioners. No, this is my boy. This is my beloved. This is the guy that I saw. The Lord saved him in Ephesus when it was a tough time in the middle of that riot. And this guy was saved that he stood up. He was baptized. Oh, tell him I said hi. By the way, in these first 16 verses of chapter 16... The word greet is used 16 times. I mean, this is a very personal time for Paul. Making disciples is personal. He talks in verse 6 of Mary. Look at verse 6. Greet Mary. And how is Mary described? Is this how you would be described? This is how I would describe Jasmine. But would you be described this way? And greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. That's the description I want. Not that I'm particularly smart or not that I'm particularly clever, but that I was a hard worker. I was faithful. Because last time I checked, Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful servant, not my good and famous servant. Can someone write of me? Alpino worked hard. He wasn't a slacker. Not to earn his righteousness. I live by the righteousness of Christ. This doesn't earn me anything. But because of his righteousness. I want to work hard. Okay, here's another married couple. Andronicus and Junia. Andronicus and Junia. See where it says kinsmen? That probably means they were Hellenistic Jews. They were probably Jews. But look at these guys. Look at this married couple. They were imprisoned. See where it says that? Verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, and my fellow prisoners. Don't know if they were imprisoned with Paul, but they were imprisoned. Remember what Jim taught us last week. A beautiful message, hope deferred and dreams delayed. Paul wanted to go to Rome. He was writing from Achaia in Corinth. He was hoping to get to Rome quickly. Is there a ringing in this sound? Okay, it's just in my ears. Great. I'm going to ignore that. It's like ignore the voices. Uh, so Achaia, Corinth. Paul's writing from Corinth. He says, hey, I want to go to Rome because it's the capital, and I want to eventually go to Hispania, Hispania. But what did Jim teach us last week? <laughs> First, he went to Jerusalem to give some money to the poor Jewish Christians, and there he got imprisoned. He sat there for two years, and he ends up going to Rome, all right, but not as he imagined. You know, a free man to preach the gospel. He went as a prisoner. Okay? I don't know if Andronius, Andronicus and Junia were imprisoned with Paul. I don't think so. But they were prisoners at one point for the gospel. And they were believers even before Paul was. Look at verse 8. And Pletius, another one who is beloved of the Lord. By the way, a lot of these names, according to historians who know about this stuff, are the names of definitely Gentiles. And a lot of them are names that were given particularly to slaves. I love that. I love that. 
And because in a moment you're going to see some names that were given to those who were literally helping rule the Holy Roman Empire. Not the Holy Roman Empire. Whoa, where did that come from? The Roman Empire. Holy Roman Empire. (laughs) They were in Caesar's court. So you've got former slaves who are now freed, and you've got the governor of the state in the same church. I love that. I love that. Ampletius is one of those former slaves. Look at the next guy, verse 9. Urbanus and Statius, another two who are beloved of the Lord. Do you get the sense that this is very, 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 very personal? I got thrown off on that little Holy Roman Empire thing. In my notes, I, this is what I want to say to you. I could just imagine that, uh, that good old uh, Ampletius, okay, who's that, that slave who had been uh, released, And look at verse 10b, Aristobulus, (laughs) Aristobulus. Just say these names if you're ever sad. You'll just start laughing. Aristobulus. Hello, Aristobulus. Okay, so Aristobulus was probably the grandson of Herod the Great. All right? And then in verse 11b, the family of Narcissus. Narcissus? Narcissus was probably uh, a top counselor to Claudius, Caesar Claudius, and... um, um, history says that he actually was forced to kill himself when Nero took over by Nero's mom because she thought he wouldn't be uh, faithful to Nero if he had served Claudius. My point is this. You've got the former slave. You've got the former man who enslaved him. And they love each other, and Paul loves them both. When we planted this church, I'll never forget my good friend Nando, who's from Puerto Rico, coming up to me at one of our events and throwing his arm around me and tears in his eyes. And he said, I never thought, Al, that I'd say that a Cuban would be one of my best friends. Now, if you're not Hispanic, that may sound weird to you. Trust me. Amongst us Hispanics, there's as much anger and bigotry and hatred as anywhere else. Just hang around Miami for a while, okay? (laughs) And he said, and so see, the gospel transformed this man to be not a follower of Puerto Rico, but a follower of Jesus. Not a follower of what he thought was right, but a follower of Jesus. And therefore, it enabled him to be a best friend of a Cuban guy who in the past he would have seen Cubans as the arrogant, typical Cuban. Not that we are, uh, but, whoops, apart from Christ. But do you see what I'm talking about? Discipleship is intensely personal. I do not have time to go over the rest of these. But you have all these names, verses, verse 12a, Trophena and Tryphosa. Two sisters who were probably also freed slaves. Verse 12b, Persis. What does it say about Persis in verse 12b? What does it say there? He worked hard for the Lord. Are you working hard for the Lord? I love verse 13. Good old Rufus. (laughs) Here's the deal about Rufus. Look at verse 13. Not only was he chosen of the Lord, but do you know that history says that this could be actually the son of, of Simon of Cyrene? Write this down. Mark 15.21, go home and ask your kids, or have your kids look this up. Mark 15.21, Simon of Cyrene is the man who they asked or they forced to carry the cross for Jesus when he was going to the cross. It says that he had two sons and one was named Rufus. Some think it's the same man. Can you imagine that? 30-some years later now, this was written in 50-something A.D. or 20-some years later. Oh, I love it. Yeah, verse 14, he greets a whole church that meets in the home of these guys. Notice how I got away from not having to say their names. Verse 15. We've got probably a family here. 
Philogius and Julia are probably the husband and wife, and Nerus and his sister Olympus. And he probably knew this family. Now watch what he does in verse 16. At the end of this whole thing, this is what he says. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Which proves that Paul was Cuban, actually. I'm taking a dig at the Cubans because I'm Cuban, right? You do know that it's actually a Cuban who discovered, who developed the, the, the modern day telephone, right? You do know that. Wasn't Alexander Graham Bell? Okay. If you didn't know that, ask a Cuban, he'll tell you. Um, no, no. Th- this greeting one another with the holy kiss is a picture of the love they had for one another. It's a picture of this, this personal, intense love and care. Look, Paul didn't know all of them personally, but he knew some of them. And, and he, he loved them, and he, and he cared for them, and he had a history behind them. And they gave their lives for the Lord, and they worked hard for the church. They were true disciples. And before I introduce you to some other true disciples, I want to review with you ever so briefly that a true disciple is made by the gospel, by the gospel, by the grace of God, the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, to be a true disciple, and by the way, these are the three points we're going to cover much more in detail next Sunday morning at Bible 45. But a true disciple, there's three things that are true about him. Number one, or her, he knows or she knows the gospel. Know the gospel. Look at verses 17 and 18. Paul says to them, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine, the gospel that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. They're egoists, egotists, okay? They weren't just gluttons. They just were all about themselves. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Listen, a true disciple is not naive about the gospel. A true disciple knows the gospel, understands the gospel. I'm not kidding when I say Get these sermons and listen to them. I'm not kidding when I say, come to the class. Do you know the gospel? Or can a smooth-talking flatterer deceive you? Paul says, be careful. Number two, a true disciple. A true disciple is one who not only knows the gospel, but one who applies the gospel. Look at verses 19 and 20. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So a true disciple applies the gospel. It is the gospel that crushes Satan underneath our feet. Don't you understand? This is the promise that God gave in Genesis 3.15. This is one of the first, or if not the first, mention of the gospel when he said to the serpent, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. Your seed will bruise his heel. Now, in Romans, Paul's saying, that seed of the woman has come. It's Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, you will crush the head of Satan, but don't you love what it says in verse 20? It's the God of peace that does that. Do you know how to apply the gospel in your life to crush the head of Satan in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of this church? Can we apply the gospel against the flesh, against the world, and against Satan, the three traditional enemies of the Christian? We must learn how to apply it. And number three, we must share it. It's not enough just to know it. It's not enough to apply it. it. We must share it. Listen, the last part of this book, he is listing here his fellow workers. Look at verse 21. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sospiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter. What? 
I thought Paul wrote the letter. Yes, he did. Tertius is an amanuensis. It's a fancy way of saying a scribe, okay? So Paul is dictating the letter. He's sitting in Corinth at an outdoor cafe, drinking a cappuccino, and he is, no, he's not. And he is dictating the, the letter, and Tertius is the guy that's writing it down. Phoebe's going to take it. Gaius hosted a whole church in his house. Erastus is the city treasurer. Maybe he was the church treasurer. And then Quartus. I always wanted to name my son Quartus. So these men were all involved with Paul to share the gospel. And here, here's where Paul then glorifies God. It's called a doxology. We already read it. And he says, oh, Lord, it is you. It is you now to him who is able to strengthen. Look at it, verse 25. Now, now to him, to you, Lord, who are able to strengthen us according to the gospel, not according to our cleverness or our abilities or our finances or the fact that we're here in America. No, no, we're strengthened according to the gospel to preach Jesus Christ, the one who's been revealed so that disciples would be made. So we've just met 26 first century disciples of Rome. Now we meet 12 21st century disciples in Miami Lakes. So what I want to do is I want to transition into our new member presentation. If you're here for the very first time, this is how it looks. I'm going to be reading a bio of each one of the new members. And while I'm reading the bio, their picture is going to be flashed on the screen. Why? Because it's intensely personal. If you don't know them, get to know them. We want to build together disciples for the gospel. And so I am just asking you, as you see these pictures, as you hear these bios, pray for them. I I want us to be knit together. Okay, church? Because that's what the gospel does. 